Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Today, we have a special crossover episode with Karen McMahon. Karen is a divorce and relationship coach and has her own podcast, Journey Beyond Divorce. In a recent Journey Beyond Divorce episode, Karen and Stacy talk about how to divide and distribute complex assets in a divorce. This information is incredibly valuable, so we are sharing it on today's podcast episode. The episode will touch upon the complexities of executive compensation packages, the importance of assessing the business's value if you or your spouse own one, as well as understanding the worth of alternative investments such as hedge funds and private equity investments. If today's episode leaves you wanting more, which we know it will, we invite you to check out the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast miniseries on the High Net Worth Divorce Playbook and gather all of the knowledge that Karen and her team share along with various industry-leading experts. Hello, and welcome back to our second episode of the High Net Worth Divorce Playbook. Our last session set the stage for how to negotiate with mastery. And today we examine the intricate finances related to your divorce, the critical importance of understanding them, and enlisting the right professional to support and guide you. With me today is Stacey Francis, and she brilliantly walks us through the complexities of executive compensation packages, the importance of assessing your business's value, and how to evaluate the worth of alternative investments, such as hedge funds and private equity investments. Stacy also explains how to determine which real estate properties to keep and those that should be sold. Stacy is a dear friend of mine. She is a nationally recognized financial expert who attended the New York University Center for Finance, Law, and Taxation, where she completed the Certified Financial Planner designation and she comes with over 18 years experience in the financial industry. Stacy is both a certified divorce financial analyst and a divorce financial strategist. She's also one of 20 of the nation's leading wealth managers on CSNBC's Digital Financial Advisor Council. She frequently appears in media outlets such as CNN, PBS, The Wall Street Journal, and USA Today. I'm thrilled to have you with us today. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you, Karen. I am really excited about this topic and, and so honored that you have me as a guest. Thank you. Well, Stacy, the thing that I'm really excited about in this conversation is your deep understanding and experience with the high net worth audience and really being able to kick off this series and provide the landscape of information that anybody listening in really wants to attend to as they enter divorce. And so we were talking before, and I think one of the places you talked about starting was determining what asset is best for you in your future. And so let's just launch this with a broad scope and then and then dive into the granular details. That sounds great. And Karen, there are a lot of similarities in all divorces. Having a divorce, whether you have millions or potentially multi-millions, you're facing a lot of the same issues as someone who is getting divorced who doesn't have that. But when you 
are dealing with more assets, yet you actually need to do a few things more so. For example, you have the additional burden of really understanding these assets. And for higher net worth individuals, we tend to see that their assets can be also a little bit more complicated. And so our goal today is to empower everyone listening with the knowledge that you need to make really good decisions for you, for your future life, for your family, and understand each asset that we're going to talk about, the risks of that asset, what the growth potential Is it something that you expect to grow phenomenally over the next several years or have a very low growth rate? And that could definitely impact whether or not it's the right thing for you and and how to plan your your life. And also, the one thing that so many of us forget, Uncle Sam doesn't go away. And making sure that you're empowered to understand the tax impact of all of these assets. Because everything we're going to be talking about today has what I call a different tax DNA. And so all of this information, while it's going to be a lot, what I do promise is that we are going to go through it in a way that is understandable, that you're going to walk away today having much more information, feel empowered, and be able to really make good decisions. Because I know, Karen, that's what Journey Beyond Divorce is all about, of empowering so that people can make good decisions and live the happiest life they possibly can. Absolutely. And actually, before you even dive in, I think it's so important to talk about the team. And and so for those listening who either have money fear or you haven't been the person who's been tracking and, and really aware of all the details of your finances, it's so important to partner up with someone like Stacy, who lives and breathes and understands this so that on top of all of the other emotional challenges that you're facing, you have that person who knows what you might not know so well. So even though you're going to take a lot of details in today, I just want to say how important it is to also partner with the expert, the financial expert who can hold your hand through this and guide you through the entire process. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And you know, I'll share with the individuals, everybody listening today, what you're really going to be needing to do is look for someone that has what's called a CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. And this is a expert who has worked in the area of divorce and understands the unique complexities, taxation, and all of the financial aspects of divorce. So what you're going to be looking for as you're going out there to find that ideal financial advisor to step through this journey of divorce and beyond is someone that has an expertise in this area. And there's actually, if you can believe it, Karen, a designation. It's called a CDFA, a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. And this person has done additional coursework and has ongoing accreditation every single year of continuing education so that they can understand the specific nature of divorce, how to protect you, the tax impact, everything that you need to know to make sure that you're making good decisions. Yeah, so and we can we can go into more detail about that, but note it that as you begin to listen, don't feel like, oh my God, I'm not getting all of this. Like you, we're going to help you find the right person. Yeah, I agree with you because I know how I feel when I go to the doctors and it's just not my area of expertise. I've, I've had two knee surgeries. And the terms that my doctor 
was using, while he's wonderful, it was far beyond me. And the thing is, is that I don't need to become a doctor to be able to get great knee surgery and a great result. I need to hire the right doctor. And it's the same thing with divorce. You need to have some education. And that's what we're going to be doing today. But you don't have to become a certified divorce financial analyst yourself. Exactly. Well said. <laughs> Love the analogy. Okay, so let's dive in. Where do we start with this, Stacey? Well, there are a lot of assets that high net worth individuals are go- have. But what we're seeing more and more frequently is what we refer to as executive compensation packages. And the most frequent we see are what's called stock options. And stock options are quite a few out there. In fact, of 15 million employees have stock options. And what's unique about stock options is that you wouldn't necessarily see them on a tax return. You wouldn't see them show up even in a paycheck. So you have to do a little digging to see if your spouse has this plan. And if you are the employee and you have this plan, well, you need to reach out to your HR to make sure that you get a statement of these benefits. Now, how stock options work is actually very, very much the way what they're called. They're stock and then the words options. So what they are is they're an option, an option to buy a stock in the future at a certain price. So let me give you an example because this is the best way. So let's assume that you are the employee of Amazon. And you started working there 5 years ago. And Amazon really values you. And they gave you stock options 5 years ago. And as a 5 years ago, uh, on January 4th, the price of Amazon stock was $607. Now... Today, if we look at the stock price and it changes day to day, but it's close to well over $3,000 now. That's a huge, huge appreciation for the last five years. So someone who had a stock option would make a really tidy profit. But let me show you how the Amazon stock option works and actually any stock option works. Well, five years ago, you got a stock option with a grant price, or another word they might call it, is a strike price of that $607 that we talked about. Essentially, what the value of the stock was that day. But what's amazing is that they said, guess what? When this stock option vests, meaning that you can use it and it's yours outright then, you can buy an Amazon share for $607 versus having to pay the price And as we know, the price is upwards of $3,000. So it's almost like having... I grew up having coupons. And we would go and we would be able to buy you know, toilet paper two for the price of one. Well, this is in some ways even better than this. You're paying $607, but you're getting an asset, that Amazon stock that's valued over $3,000 today. So it can be very lucrative. And that's what options are. And they can be unbelievable wealth generators. Because, well, what happens with a lot of these stocks is they go up. And most of the companies that you see stock options are tend to be like Amazons. They're pharmaceuticals. A lot of pharmaceutical companies uh, such as uh, Pfizer, Moderna, have stock options and give them to employees to, to keep them incentivized to work hard and 
help raise the stock price, internet companies. And so these are all companies, especially over the last 10 years, have seen their their stock prices double, triple, quadruple, and more as we see with Amazon. So this is important. Now, something that I did mention, Karen, was I talked about when it vests. And I want to talk about that because it can be confusing. Yeah, I was well, just going to jump in and ask exactly that question. Yeah. That have, you ever, yeah have you ever heard of golden handcuffs or anything like that? I don't know if you've heard that term before, Karen. Very much so, yes. Yeah, so these are golden handcuffs. They're handcuffs, but you know, boy, are they brassy and beautiful. Well, what employers do, Amazon is pretty, pretty smart. They say, okay, we're going to give you this option. But it's not going to vest for, let's say, five years. And so you have to sit there and twiddle your thumbs and continue to be employed by Amazon until it vests. And if you decide you're going to go to the competitor, Microsoft, and leave Amazon in the dust, as Amazon is going to take away that stock option, and you're going to leave a ton of money on the table. So that's what we call about golden handcuffs. You can forfeit this. If you're terminated for cause, if you leave for another job, we've even seen in the news clawbacks where news in the press of of companies doing, unfortunately, not very good things, clawing back executive compensation like this from some of their top employees. So it doesn't mean that it's automatically yours. And the reason why the vesting is important is that not only it's because if they leave before, they forfeit some of it, but also the percent that is considered able to be divided up in your divorce can also be attributed to the vesting schedule. And I don't want to get too detailed about that, but it's important for you. It's important for you to know that if there are stock options, get the vesting schedule and make sure that you're working with a lawyer as well as a certified divorce financial analyst that can help you determine what portion of those stock options are still going to be marital that you can have access to and what portion, unfortunately, are now going to be considered separate property. And that's actually determined from what I'm hearing you say that's determined by the company's policy? Exactly. So The typical vesting period for stock options is anywhere from like a three to five year period. And there are different types of of vesting. There's something that's called cliff, where after three years, it's 100% vested. And then they have another type of of vesting schedule where it's called graded. And it's exactly what it sounds like. So if it's a five-year vesting schedule, then 20% vests in one year one, another 20% in year two, 20% in year three four, and then five when you have it all. So it means that let's say if you leave in year four, you are able to walk away with 80% at least. The other 20%, unfortunately, you're saying goodbye to. But this has an impact on how much you're entitled to that's considered marital. And there are also some unique fine wrinkles about was this were these stock options given to you or your spouse because of past performance, which would be considered marital? Or were they given to either you or your spouse as incentive for future performance? And this can be kind of murky, but that's why you need to make sure that you get the right documents to be able to get this information. And the right documents, you know, employee letters 
are going to talk about stock options. And often, employee letters will say, you're getting stock options because we want you to stay with the company and incent you. Or, for example, my husband, he moved from Credit Suisse to BlackRock. And BlackRock wrote in their document, we're giving you stock options for past performance. And the reason why they did that is to incent and get Michael to move to the new company. They said, you know what? All those stock options you're giving up by leaving Credit Suisse, we're going to give you new stock options and we're going to make you whole. But that is considered marital property because he earned that right when we were married. He earned that while we were married. That was really for his last job. So these are kind of details here. But boy, can it make a difference. And it's not that, again, you need to know all this information. Your lawyer <laughs> needs to know this information and make these determinations and help you, as well as your divorce financial analyst. So I just want to be real clear here. You're not talking about a separate attorney. You're talking about having a matrimonial attorney who is knowledgeable and can help find out this information. Exactly. Yes. That is why, in particular, I mean, you, you need to have a great matrimonial attorney. We, we all know that. That's really one of the most important people in this whole process. But especially if you're dealing with complex assets like this, you need a matrimonial attorney who actually has worked in high net worth divorce before. Because this, for them, will be old hat. They can talk about this over a cocktail. Um, maybe even after they've had one or two cocktails and they're very comfortable and familiar with it. Whereas someone who hasn't worked in this arena before may not have come across stock options. And that's most likely not the right attorney for you then. Yeah. And thank you so much for bringing that up. We do have an episode specifically on making sure that you have the right attorney if you're in this high net worth category. And so you can you can look for that in our our schedule for this for this series. So anything else on stock options before we move on? One small thing. We talked about the positive. We talked about Amazon. We talked about how the price of Amazon has gone up and these stock options are worth so much. But we've worked with employees where they worked at Macy's and Macy has had a different experience. They received stock options and the price of the stock at that time 5 years ago was worth a whole lot more than we see today. And those options are what's called underwater. And if you think about it and visualize underwater, no one really wants to be underwater, especially not for a long time. And while they look like they have no value, and they actually can have value. And the reason why there's there's a a formula that you can use to calculate that even if the stock price was the exercise price is $50 and today it's only trading at 45 meaning like, wow, well, that's not really valuable for me. I'm not saving any money by actually exercising the stock. It still can have value. So that's something for individuals to know too. And again, why you want to make sure you work with the right financial advisor to do that calculation. Now, there's another one. I don't know if you've heard of restricted stock awards or restricted stock units before. It's newer. So fewer. there might be fewer people that have heard of that. Have you heard of that before, Karen? I have, but I couldn't, I couldn't articulate what that means very well. So yeah. do tell. So restricted stock and restricted stock units, we're seeing more and more. 
stock options like 10 years ago it was it was like the it was the most fashionable thing to be able to give to employees from corporate corporations and and today that's changed the new black or the new you know <laughs> fashionable i don't know maybe it's stretchy pants now since we're in covid but the new fashionable thing is is actually giving restricted stock and restricted stock is actually what it sounds like it's stock that they're going to actually give you so you're going to have stock not the option to buy in the future but you actually you have stock but it's restricted restricted stock and there are some restrictions and how we talked about the stock options having those vesting schedules guess what it's the same thing with these guys there are vesting schedules so you have this beautiful amazon stock you're so excited you can't wait to sell it but you can't you can't <laughs> you have to wait you have to wait until it's vested and this too is considered considered gilded handcuffs because if you leave your employer if you are fired for doing something really naughty you essentially are forfeiting your right and you don't get the stock so that's something to know as well and uh, we are seeing very large large companies and even some smaller companies giving restricted stock and i'm going to share this with you and i think this is fascinating one of the biggest companies that award restricted stock is amazon but they give restricted stock not only to their their most senior employees but their hourly workers as well so those amazon delivery individuals a good number of them are getting restricted stock too so it's not just the high net worth arena we're seeing companies using this as a wonderful way to compensate employees all through the rank and file so this is important to know same thing often a 3 to 5 year vesting schedule graded which is as we talked about over time or cliff meaning that you have to wait 3 years and then it all becomes 100% vested and you can you can sell it but what's really important to know about restricted stock and also about stock options is that it's not a free lunch and when we started talking today we talked about the things you need to know about these assets we talked about the risk that you could potentially lose them right we talked about the growth potential that there's a lot of growth potential because it's often internet companies or pharmaceutical but we also promised that we're going to talk about taxes and that's what i want you to know about restricted stock units so if you have a restricted stock unit in amazon and it vests today you're going to have about $3000 and that's pretty phenomenal but in reality what you're going to walk away with is probably only closer to about $2000 and that's because uncle sam is going to be standing there waiting for you to pay him his share as soon as this amazon stock vests so that's really important and you know when you look at restricted stock account or stock options and you might see a million dollars in that plan i don't want you to fool yourself that it's actually a million dollars after uncle sam takes his share because it's ordinary income which is the and it's taxed at your highest tax bracket you may only be walking away with 60% of that and 40% going to uncle sam so that million dollars can be quickly dwindled to as little as 600,000 and and even could be more depending on your tax bracket so Karen that's something that's really important to understand about these assets what you see on the face while it may look good you need to really think about well what is this really after tax so if you were to take say hey I'll take the million dollar restricted stock units that I earned through my company. You take the million dollar house. It's not even or fair really to either of you. 
Does that make sense? It does. And I think that that's one of the biggest things where an expert like you comes in that two assets can have the same value, but they're not at all apples to apples. And that's what I hear you saying. Exactly. I mean, it's like they say is don't judge a, a book by its cover. You don't know what's really between the the bindings and between the covers. So it's the same thing with these assets too. It's really important to really look at, okay, what is the after-tax amount? It's the other piece on the the restricted stock, again, that full $3,000, the value of that Amazon share, you're going to pay ordinary income taxes upwards of 40% or more at the highest tax bracket. The way that the stock options work is a little different. The amount that you pay taxes on is the difference between the strike price or that grant price, which if you remember, we talked about it in this scenario with Amazon being about $607 and the price of the stock when you exercise it. So you're essentially getting that $3,000 stock and only having to pay $607. Well, the government (laughs) wants their fair share. The difference between that $607 and the $3,000 or so that we talked about, it's about $2,500. And that $2,500, the difference, the money that you make, well, you're going to pay taxes on that upwards of 40% or more. So that's also really important. And you just want to make sure that no one is surprised by this, that you, you've you talked about this, that it's written in your agreement of who's going to be paying taxes and make sure that, that there's no surprises because no one wants surprises. You don't want to get one over your spouse by you know, having them not understand the taxes. Number one, it's not the right thing to do. It's not the ethical thing to do. But also it means that you're most likely going to end up back in court. And who wants that? No one wants that. Right. And I can see how complicated this ends up getting, especially for the person who hasn't been overseeing and managing the finances. So this is really helpful. Once we go beyond, are there any other parts of the that executive package that we need to touch on? There's another piece. Division can get messy. Restricted stock units and stock options are, are not like a checking account. You can't split it. You can't transfer it to the other person. When you read through the documents uh, of these plans, the employers don't let you transfer these assets to someone else. They have to stay in the name of the employee spouse. So that can get pretty, pretty messy if the document that's been written, the legal document your lawyer wrote said, you know, 50% of the restricted stock unit account to be transferred to, you know, spouse so and so. If that does happen, you're going to have a big problem because that's not allowed. It's not legal. And so your lawyer will want to read through the plan documents to understand how can you transfer the assets. And the typical way is that they're held in a what's called a constructive trust at the employer for the benefit of the other spouse who's not the employee, the non-employee spouse. And then once they vest, they can then transfer them out of the employer to the employee into any account that they want. But this is one of those prickly issues that you do want to be careful of as well. Yeah. And so most matrimonial attorneys are very good at crossing T's and dotting I's and making sure that everything's correct. And Stacy, yep. what I hear you saying is even the best matrimonial attorney, if they don't have 
significant experience working with high net worth, as good as they are in all other aspects of that settlement agreement, this could be a place where their client is potentially at risk. Exactly. And and it's very easy. You can just ask, how many cases have you worked on where there's been restricted stock units or stock options? Just ask that question. And if they say, oh, you know, a few, then that gives you your answer that you probably need to work with someone else. There's a lot with employee stock purchase plans. The other thing I would just say is ask the question if there are any deferred compensation plans. So this is a little different, but instead of be receiving your salary, you can say, you know what, pay my salary to me in five years or pay my salary to me in you know, this percent of my salary to me in, in three years. That's not going to show up on the tax return. It's not going to show up in a paycheck. So you'll want to ask that question to say, are there any deferred compensation plans? And my husband and I do that. And so I know people do it. <laughs> and sometimes there's some what we call divorce planning where you know someone who tries to be a little sly defers their compensation to a date that they know they're going to be divorced. Mm. Um, that's pretty naughty. I feel like there's a the special place in hell for someone who who would do that. But you know, just ask the question, you know, are there any deferred compensation plans? What's another tip we want to talk about? You know, the business is really important and I'm going to make it very clear, we do not do business valuations. That is not our expertise and if someone comes to us, this is one of those important team members that you would want to be part of your team, someone that could value a business. And what I would say, which is really important, a lot of individuals will look at a business and either themselves or their spouses and feel like, you know, it doesn't really have a value. It's really revolves around your spouse running it. And if God forbid your spouse didn't show up one day, the business would go under. But it doesn't mean that it actually doesn't truly have a value. And so what I would say with the business, just make sure that you speak with your lawyer and you have a real real frank conversation about is there a value and if so then make sure you get it you get the process of evaluation done evaluations don't necessarily have to be expensive you can try and work with someone who gives you a a decent fair market value maybe not down to the penny but that you can work with you can sometimes even hire someone who's a neutral to work for both of you to try and make it more feasible as far as the cost, but but just don't forget the business. And I'm saying this from my personal situation. My husband and I are happily married, but if we got divorced, he would be fully entitled to a value in my business. And right now, the value of my business, Francis Financial, is worth more than all of our assets combined. All of our assets combined. And as much as it would pain me because it, I feel like Francis Financial is is a child. It's, I mean, it's, I've given my life for, for this company over the last two decades, you know, but he's made a lot of sacrifices too. And so he's truly entitled to that. Even though the business I started, I'm 100% owner, he's entitled to some of this business. Not 100%, not even 50%. Typically, what we see is the spouse receives anywhere from 10% to about 30% of the value, depending on how long they've been married and when the business was started maybe depending on how active their role was in the business. So these are all things that it will be discussed. And, and again, just making sure that you know that the business is actually an asset. It truly, it truly is an asset. Even if you don't feel like it is, it, it mostly has some type of value. And to that point, there is a specialist. It's a forensic accountant. And we, will, mm-hmm. we also have uh, someone in that position speaking to you through this series. So 
you can tune in to that episode as well. And when you have your own business, it's actually a lot of different areas where finances can be, I don't want to say hidden as in in a manipulative way, but that there's many layers, aren't there? Where if- Oh yeah. If I wanted to be naughty, I could decide I'm not going to pay myself and I'm going to make my salary lower. And instead, I'm going to increase the expenses of my business. Right. And maybe my business... You know, I've, I actually saw this once where uh, all of a sudden payroll went up by double and I couldn't figure out why I was looking at it. And it turns out that this accountant, this was an accountant, what he did to reduce his salary was then pay his mistress three times her normal salary. <laughs> and then he gave it, then she gave it to him. I mean, it's just, it's Jersey housewife, some of the things you see. But there's a lot that can be manipulated. And the biggest manipulation we see with businesses of people behaving badly is in the business increasing expenses significantly and trying to manipulate it so that it looks like there's very little profit in the business and then the poor business owner can't take anything home. And that's where you want a forensic accountant. And for a lot of high net worth divorces, not not all, but that is often a very valuable person to at least take a preliminary view to make sure that nothing looks odd or fishy and everything, all the numbers add up and that one plus one really does equal two and then everything's okay. Absolutely. And I've had a couple of clients where what was on paper or what their spouse, who was the, the high earner, was saying was so out of alignment with the lifestyle that they were living. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, if all of that is true, how are you living this lifestyle? And so if you're in a situation where, where you just you don't know and you have a lot of money fear, I just want to say it's so important to invest in the professionals who can help you see what's real so that you can make good decisions. Because when you're going through a divorce, and especially if you're in this high net position, you want to make sure that the settlement that you create is going to support you and your family for the rest of your life. And so if your intuition tells you something seems awry, regardless of what your soon-to-be ex is saying, speak to the professionals and invest where you're advised to invest because that's going to be a good investment. Exactly. You said it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next? What else do we want to leave our listeners with? So a lot of high net worth marriages are, you'll see different types of assets that maybe are not as familiar as a, you know, a checking account or a brokerage account with stocks and bonds. A lot of times they'll invest in companies that are not public. So a company that's public like Amazon, you can go and buy a share on the stock market. But companies that are, are not public, like Amazon, they're often smaller companies. In fact, Francis Financial is not public. For some companies, you can, you can buy a share, but it's private. So you, it doesn't have the same transparency as being mm-hmm. able to go on Google and say, oh, guess what? Today, Amazon is trading at you know $3,126 per share. You don't have that. There's no public market where you can get that information from a private equity, private company that you might have a share in. And I've seen some individuals feel like, well, since we don't really know what it's worth, why don't you just keep all of the private equity investments and I'll take the checking account 
it has $10,000, but at least I know it has $10,000. When three or four years down the line, that private equity company either goes public or they're purchased. And those 5,000 shares that you didn't really know the value of, all of a sudden becomes a million dollars, $2 million, or even $3 million. And the other spouse has taken the $10,000 checking account. So while getting a value for them can be extremely difficult, know that there is a value. And what we often see is the best way to deal with this type of a asset is just to split it half and half. Both of you are taking the risk. Both of you get the upside of the growth if there is growth. And you both are, are receiving the same tax issues with whatever it is. And so that's something that I would recommend. But just please don't poo-poo the value of these private equity investments. You may not know exactly what it's worth, but make sure that you give yourself the opportunity to benefit from that. And ideally, again, just doing it 50-50 is the most... I think has the most integrity of being able to deal with it. And it's the same thing with hedge funds. Hedge funds are easier to price out to be able to, to understand the value. And often we see hedge funds, couples just you know, splitting the, the value of the, the fund and you know, each person going their own way with a new account in their own name. And then there's the... And this has been in the news a lot. Mm. Bitcoin. Bless Bitcoin. The good news about digital assets is that this is the, I think, second year where you ha- are forced to report digital assets on your tax return. Up until now, it was like the wild west. You didn't know who had a Bitcoin or a digital you know, asset. You didn't know how much it was worth. And they definitely weren't reporting it on their tax return. Well, things have changed. So that's good. It's harder to hide money this way. And with looking at cryptocurrency, it does have a lot of risk associated with it. So you do want to understand the impact of this. Let's say you're looking at a million dollar retirement account versus a million dollars in Bitcoin. The retirement account may be the right thing for you. But again, make sure you remember that retirement account, every dollar taken out, you're going to be taxed at ordinary income. You're going to say goodbye to 40% plus. Now, Bitcoin, you could be saying goodbye to just as much. In fact, my husband and I have quite a few Bitcoins. We bought them, if you can believe this, at $10 a share. And I think the last time I looked, they're at $26,000 per Bitcoin. Wow. So you can <laughs> you can only you can only imagine what our tax bill will be. Essentially, we're going to have to pay almost $26,000 in capital gains. And capital gains are not at ordinary income. It's not that like 40% amount. It's about 28%, but that's still a big number paying 28% plus on essentially $26,000. So again, just understanding what were what was the cryptocurrency bought for? If it was bought recently, then there may not be a whole lot in gains that you have to worry about. But if it was like myself and we bought it a long, long, long time ago, wish we had bought more. We only bought five bitcoins, which I kicked myself. Why didn't we do more? But you know, is what it is. For us, when we sell, boy, are we gonna? I mean, almost we're gonna say goodbye to so much of that money. So again, being smart about the tax impact of, of some of these things. But the good news again about cryptocurrency is that. It's getting much harder for people to to be naughty and not disclose because you can look at the tax return. And if you're not putting it on the tax return, well, then you're breaking the law and they're the IRS that you're going to have to deal with. But that's important to know. So as we said, private equity, you may not know the value, but boy, it has value. So make sure you don't just poo-poo it. Hedge funds, 
they typically state their value more frequently. Hedge funds often are, are split. They do tend to have a little bit more risk along with private equity. And the other high risk asset is typically cryptocurrency. And again, for all of these, understand what were they bought for so that you understand you know, what is the real tax ramifications of taking this asset. And would you say that on top of a professional like yourself and a forensic accountant, if necessary, where does having a CPA on your team come in in this situation? A lot of CDFAs do a good amount of the accounting work. So we have beautiful, fancy software. Makes us look really smart, Karen. (laughs) And it calculates all the the tax implications so we can run tax reports. But you are going to want a CPA and ideally a CPA that you feel really comfortable with because you're eventually going to have to file your own taxes. And for for a lot of individuals, they haven't filed taxes on their own for, for many, many years. And it can be a little overwhelming and frightening. And if you do need to do some of these really in-depth calculations, you do want to get a CPA in, in involved. So our software is great. But if, you're, if you have a court case and you're going to be presenting information to the judge, at that point, you probably want a CPA who li- lives and breathes and eats taxes for breakfast to be able to do that calculation and, and show it. Perfect. You know, I know there's so much more we can talk about and we're limited on time. So Stacy, what else do we want to cover here before we wrap up? This is my favorite topic. With high net worth, there's real estate. And real estate is... I love real estate. Right now, I'm doing this wonderful podcast from my ski home on Stratton Mountain in <laughs> Vermont. We have a, a wonderful condo in New York City. Typically, you have your primary home and you have a a vacation home. You might even have two vacation homes. And what I know about real estate that I think is true for many people is that real estate is a, a different kind of asset. I don't get warm and fuzzy when I hug my 401k or I f- hug my restricted stock units. But my home my home gives me peace and it gives me warmth and it gives me happiness. And while that's wonderful, I want to bring it back to also balancing that with what is best for you long term. And sometimes our emotions around real estate, our second home and how much we love it and sitting on the beach and watching the the waves come in or down in you know, on the ski hill and being able to jump out and go skiing, sometimes those things can cloud our vision of what's best for us financially. And so that is really my parting gift and of advice of let yourself look at the numbers first of whether or not you truly can afford to financially support the value and the ongoing upkeep and costs of that home before you let yourself fall in love with the idea of having it happily ever after in your life. And many times it works. Many times it works, but, but sometimes it doesn't. And the challenge is, is that when you're in your 80s and you don't have enough money to be able to live the life the way you deserve, those four walls aren't going to be able to do a whole lot for you. So again, just making sure that you're not going to deplete your retirement accounts, your brokerage accounts, your nest egg mm. to 
keep a house that is is too much house for you for the long term. Yeah, that's so important. And our our last in our last episode with Gabrielle Hartley, she one of her key things that she said was enter your negotiation with your rational mind, not your emotional mind. And mm-hmm. when it comes to your home, it's so easy for the emotions to take over. And it's so important to know that ahead of time. And like you said, like focus on the numbers, the what's in black and white and make your decisions accordingly. Yeah. And I would say, Karen, it's the hardest thing of the divorce process. It really is. And it hurts me every time I say this, but it's really a business negotiation. And it feels so so wrong and dirty that a marriage would come to that. But you do need to go in with that rationale to make sure that you're making good financial decisions because you're making decisions that aren't just going to impact you for the next year. They're going to impact you for the rest of your life and, and actually your children. And so trying to, as best you can, go in and, and figure out what's right financially and then build the best life you possibly can around that. You know, and I just want to tag on to that. So many of you are feeling so much emotion right now. And it's hard to imagine that you're going to get to the other side of this, that you're going to be liberated from all the grief and the struggle, and that you're going to be excited about the next chapter of your life. And yet we at Journey Beyond Divorce have been working for over a decade with men and women who enter in fear and resistance and and emerge and they're so they thrive on the other mm-hmm. side. And so there's the legal divorce and all of those finances. And then there's the emotional divorce, really detaching and allowing yourself to look for the next open door. And you will be there. And when you get there, you want to make sure that that the settlement agreement that you've negotiated is going to support you going forward. And so this has been so incredibly helpful and valuable, Stacy. I want to thank you so much. Thank you. I love, 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 love this work. And I love what you do as well. And just again, what we have found in working with individuals over the last few decades in this area, the team is so important and divorce coaching and support is so important. We see a huge difference of how people travel through the divorce journey and how they come out at the end and having the support of a coach coming out more whole, more financially sound as well. And I know you're not really dealing with the finances, but you're helping individuals have that ability to move beyond the emotions to do what's really right. So very excited. Yeah. And and thank you for that. And our desire is that you, and that's the whole goal of this Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, is we want you to be calm, clear, and confident in everything you do through divorce so that at the other side, there's no regret. There's only forward looking and next chapter and a lot of excitement. And so this has been a really robust and thorough 101 on what you need to know if you're if you're divorcing in the high net worth category you also have can you just tell our listeners number 1 how they can find you and i know you also have a free giveaway for them so let let's cover that before we say goodbye 
everyone can receive a, a copy of what's called Financially Ever After. We interviewed 150 individuals going through divorce and asked them, what would you tell your dearest friend of what you did right and what mistakes you made? And so we have a copy that for that for all of you. Really important and helps you navigate the ups and downs and even ask questions that maybe you didn't know to ask. So that's something. And also, we have a, a great questionnaire that you can use of how to find the right financial advisor uh, to help you through this process and after. Not all certified divorce financial analysts are the same. Some have that designation and they've had it for years and they've worked on two or three or four cases. And then others have worked on hundreds and work more in the high net worth arena. And so you want to be able sure to make sure that you're working with the, the right person. So we'll send that to you as well so that you have that resource. And you can go to our website. We've got a lot of great resources here at Francis Financial. Our website is www.francisfinancial.com. We also have a podcast. In fact, Karen was one of my heroes and mentors in starting the podcast a couple of years ago. And you can look at that financially ever after is our podcast. And so there's a lot of great, particularly financial topics and high net worth topics that you can peruse and listen to as well. So a lot of great resources. Please check them out. And if we can help support you in any way, that's what we are here for. We work with individuals going through the divorce process hourly. And then we work with individuals afterwards with wealth management, financial planning, investing, and uh, making sure that their money is growing over time. And Stacy, one last point. Geographically, do you have any limitations? No, we have clients everywhere. England, Singapore. We have clients all over the United States. We're a pretty large firm. We manage nearly $400 million. And so we're too big for New York State to actually regulate. So the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, regulates us, meaning that we are able to work in every single state and pretty much every single country. So yeah, it's wonderful. And I mean, I know that COVID is very difficult, but we've always worked and been able to work online with our clients. And you know, it hasn't really been much of a, a shift for us. So we can work with clients anywhere. Like you, like you, you have clients everywhere, right, Karen? Exactly. And I just <laughs> want to say for those of you who've been listening through our various series, Stacey Francis is one of my very favorite colleagues. She has an incredibly big heart. She is deeply integrity-based. And she is, as you've now heard, so well-schooled in high net worth. And so if you're listening and you need somebody, Stacy and her team, I would say definitely say reach out, listen to the podcast, you know, grab the free giveaways and and put a call in because you would be in very, very good hands. And Stacy, thank you so much for your thank time. You. Thank you thank for sharing you. your wisdom and advice. It's been incredibly helpful. Have a great day and everyone wishing you the best in your journey. We hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to check out Journey Beyond Divorce. Next week, we're going to be revisiting one of our most popular episodes, an intensely fascinating conversation with Victoria McCooey about surviving financial abuse. And we'll be back on August 31st with more new conversations helping you to live financially ever after.